Well, if you'll open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Psalm 46 this morning. Psalm 46. Because of the way uh, the holidays work every year, I, I often get the opportunity to, to preach at the, at the turn of the new year um, uh, following Christmas. And so it's always a, a great chance to kind of look at, is there, is there an opportunity to talk a little bit about the year past and sort of what we're going to be focusing on for the new year? And so we'll often pick a theme or something like that that we're going to be thinking about for this next year coming up. But this year in particular, whew, you know? 2020 was quite a year. In fact, it was such, such a remarkably unique year uh, that it's almost hard to talk about because we've all talked about it so much. It feels like it's been almost driven into the ground. But I don't know how I could preach a New Year sermon, a sermon for the New Year, without, without referencing 2020 and the year it was. It was uh, a, unique, a unique year, to say the least, for you, for me, for our church, for the world, uh, this year, this last year will, will have stood out. Personally, for some, the year has presented just sort of an inconvenience. You know, you, you've had to stretch a little bit. You've had to make adjustments to, to be tolerated. And, and hopefully, uh, you, we just get to move on, you know, uh, for, for some. But for many, this year has been almost devastating. They've been dealing with grief, dealing with loss, with isolation, with loss of income, with struggle, uh, for, for, for many of this year has been a source of despair. But no matter what your personal experience has been, even the casual observer will admit that this year has been a remarkable, a remarkable year just around the world and for our nation and for our church and for our culture. It's brought about drastic changes. And with the arrival of COVID-19, we've seen sickness and, and death around the world. And we've seen the precautions against COVID-19 bring a heartache as well with the isolation, loss of employment, business shutdowns uh, for, the, for most of the year. Almost every household has felt the pain of adjusting to COVID this year, having to take on additional burdens. Uh, stretching themselves to meet the challenges, many uh, to the point of breaking or the point of despair. But it, it, even if you leave uh, COVID out of 2020, it was, it was a, a dramatic year even without that. Socially and politically, we're increasingly divided, uh, more divided than, than I have seen in my experience. As personal and political agendas and ideologies have driven us further apart, lies, deceit, and manipulation have taken over as, as common tools uh, to drive wedges and to, to paint your enemies poorly. It fuels greater anger and animosity, and we see that reflected and fueling itself over and over again in our culture, building and building animosity and hate. And the world has never been more hostile to the things of God. The Bible is increasingly viewed uh, with anger and disdain, and believers who refuse to celebrate sin are attacked and slandered. Most of this is, is not new. It's not unique to 2020. But I think when we look at 2020, we just see it moving faster, being stronger. We just see it so, so starkly in contrast to the other years that 2020 really stands out as being a, a difficult year. And so in many ways, I agree with the sentiment that, that we've, we've all seemed to have shared. Uh, good riddance to 
to 2020. We're, we're happy to see that year go. And we hope that 2021 will be better. Maybe we pray that 2021 will be better, but I'm not content to just hope and pray that 2021 will be better. I think as believers, uh, we have more to offer than just hoping and praying that 2021 will be better than 2020. I think we'll see today that as God's people, we can reflect a hope and a certainty in the midst of struggle that honors God far more than wishing for easier times. So today we're going to be in Psalm, 20, Psalm 46, and this is a psalm that was written to remind God's people of his awesome power, to celebrate his presence and his care that he has demonstrated for them, and to encourage them to rest in him and to trust in him in the midst of seemingly overwhelming difficulty. And that's what we're going to see in Psalm 46. And so let's start in Psalm 46, verse 1. It says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. And this is really, this is the summary verse for the whole psalm. It really captures the heart of the psalm. And we're going to take this and we're going to break it down and see some of the different parts that we're going to see repeated uh, throughout the psalm. And the first thing is that God is our refuge. God is our strength. This is the, the theme we're going to see here. This is the repeating image we're going to see throughout is this image of God as a fortress that we can take refuge in with strong walls, impregnable walls, invincible walls that no army can come against. It's a military image and it's still applicable today. Fortresses are valuable. Under attack, you can retreat into a fortress. You can hold a position against an enemy for a longer time behind the walls. And if you have provisions inside and the stronger your walls are, the better off you were. This, this image of the fortress inspired Martin Luther's hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He goes, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Many of you know that hymn inspired the hymn, this image of a fortress that we see throughout the psalm. And a couple of things I want to point out. You know, this, it has the image of God being our refuge, God being our strength, and, and this image of God as a fortress that we can rest in. And one thing the psalmist doesn't say is that God makes us strong. Now, the emphasis is that God is our strength, that God is our refuge. The image is not of our strength. The image is not that we will overcome, that we will win the battles, but rather that God wins the battles, that God is the strong one. We rest in him. The message here is entirely of God's protection and his strength. We rest and trust in him. Also, you'll see that God is our refuge. God is our strength. There's a possessiveness there. It's, it's not that just that God is a refuge and a strength for whoever, whenever, wherever. God is our refuge and our strength. For the psalmist, he had a connection with God. This was his God. They were his people. They had a relationship. The psalmist knew God. He could rest in this God that was committed to him and he and they to him. Also, you see that God is a very present help in times, I'm sorry, a very present help in trouble. A very present, sometimes has been translated um, an ever-present, right? God is always there. And it is an emphasis. It doesn't just say God is present in trouble. God is very present. 
And so it's good to know um, for the psalmist that when they are in struggle, uh, God is not a phone call away. God is not somebody uh, they can send a message to, but God is there with them. In the midst of struggle, God is present. And how present is he? He is very present. He is very much there. You know, uh, when I have my kids at home, you know, I'm, I've got them at home and I'm there and I'm there with them, but sometimes they're doing their things. I'm doing my thing. Am I present with them? Yes. Am I very present with them? No. I'm a little zoned out. I'm working. They're doing things. I say, hey, dad, no, 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 no. I go, okay. See ya. You know, that's present. But this doesn't say he's just present. This says he is very present. In the time of trouble, God is engaged. You see here, God is active. He is aware. He is in it with them. He's not just a phone call away. He is already there. He is a very present help in trouble. And finally, you see the acknowledgement in trouble. It doesn't say because God is with us, we'll never see trouble. That is not what you see even in this first verse. It is the acknowledgement that God's people will be in trouble. It is a common fallacy and it keeps coming back around again that, that people will teach and people will believe because they want to believe that if you follow God well enough, you will never see strife. You'll never have hard times. And that is not the fact of the Bible. The Bible is very clear that God's people will be in trouble. We live in a world that is corrupted by sin. We are surrounded by sinners. We are sinners. We inherit trouble. We will have troubles in this world. And so this is, this verse is an acknowledgement that God is with us and we are still in trouble. God is with us in trouble. So that's what we see here. God is our refuge in trouble. God is our strength in trouble. God is a help in trouble. God is very present with us in trouble. God is with us as you look at verses 2 and 3, they're going to show how we react when God is with us, even in the most extreme of circumstances. Verse 2 says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of, sea, of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah. I want to go ahead and address that word, Selah. It's a Hebrew word that's in a lot of the Psalms. It comes in breaks between verses. Um, it, it, it was translated, uh, early translation of the Greek, translated as a musical pause. Uh, we don't have the exact translation, but, but viewing it as a musical pause is helpful and also helps us to know that it's not something that you have to be distracted by. We're not going to be singing the psalm. So this morning, you don't have to worry about the word Selah, except to just know it was a part of the text. It probably has a musical connotation to it. Uh, but I just don't want you to be distracted by that as we go on. So looking at verses two and three, what should our conclusion be from knowing that God is our refuge, that God is our strength, that he's a very present help in trouble? Well, the psalmist tells us, we will not fear. He doesn't say we should not fear. It's not an instruction. It's not a request. He says, we will not fear. It's a declaration. It's a celebration. They know God is very present with us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. We will not fear. Even in the midst of natural disaster, you see this picture of the mountains collapsing into the sea. The oceans foaming and rising up. Earthquakes, typhoons, though the earth should crumble away, we will not fear. 
You know, this is a reminder to us, there's many things that we struggle with that are not a personal attack. They're not somebody's fault. We can't look at it and say, you did this. Many times we just struggle with uh, sickness. We struggle with natural disaster. We, we struggle with injury. And we just say, uh, these are the results of living in a fallen world. In the face of these things, though, the psalmist says, we will not fear, even in the face of utter cataclysm. In fact, as you look at these things, you see that this is really a description also of the day of the Lord, the day of judgment, when, when Christ comes back, when God judges the, the earth and the nations. And we see earthquakes, we see cataclysm, we see the seas rising up and the mountains crumbling. And the psalmist says, in those days of judgment, when God judges, we will not fear, for God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is a very present help in trouble. We will not fear, for God is with us. If we look at verses 4 and 5, they show that when God is with us, we can have joy and hope even in the darkest of times. Verse 4 says, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy, dwell the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. This image of the city of God, this is really kind of an expansion of this idea of the fortress. God is our fortress, but the city of God is even more the dwelling place of God. We see it in the Old and the New Testament where God lives with his people. This is the city of God. For the psalmist, as referenced in, in, in this psalm, the city of God really represents Jerusalem where God has indwelt the temple, where God lives with his people. Uh, this, is, this is the city of God for the psalmist here. And Israel had always relied not just on God's assistance, but on God's presence, that God was with them. You see, as they escaped Egypt, God was with them, right? He defeated the Egyptians. He parted the Red Sea. As they move into the wilderness, as they, as they get the Ten Commandments, God met with Joseph. As they travel through the wilderness, he leads them in a column of smoke and fire. He, he stays in the tabernacle where they can meet with him in the Holy of Holies. He leads them into the promised land, defeats their enemies ahead of them. And when Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem, we see God's spirit come and dwell in the, in the temple. This was the city of God. This is the place where God lived with his people. And the image we have here is that the city of God has blessings that come with God's presence. That's this river you see. It's not a literal river. In fact, Jerusalem didn't, didn't have very much in the way of water flow in it. But it's a, it's a figurative river showing that God's blessings, God's provision, the joy of God, the peace of God, stayed, flowed from God in his presence in the city of God with his people. The image of the river and its streams flowing through the city represents the blessings of provision. And think about a city under siege, a city surrounded by enemies. Maybe it has impregnable walls because of God's strength. Right, it's a refuge, but now the city has a river flowing through it, a source of life, a source of vitality. Right Now the city is provisioned, it is taken care of, it is blessed because of the presence of God. Like the river with four branches that flows through the Garden of Eden, God's presence brings vitality, it brings provision, joy, and peace to those who dwell with God and those who live under his protection. So God is our refuge, God is our strength, and we see here that God's presence with us brings life, it brings joy, it brings peace, it brings provision. They can rest with a God who cares for them. We see on in verse five, God is in the midst of her, she will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. God is an anchor for this city. 
The walls are impregnable, invincible. It will not be overcome by its enemies. The people will not despair. They will not give in because God is with them, sustaining them. In fact, it says, in the darkest of times, right before the morning breaks, God will help her. God is there. God gives hope in even the darkest of moments. They say it's darkest before the dawn. That is when God is there. God is there to help. God is with us. Starting in verse 6, the psalmist reveals the fate of the nations who oppose God's people. See in verse 6, the nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, Selah. And the psalm doesn't explicitly link itself to an episode in Israel's history. It doesn't explicitly say this is when this happened or there's none of those kind of notes. But you can kind of look at the psalm and look at some of the circumstances and you can tie it pretty closely to Second Chronicles chapter 20. And so I'm going to just kind of walk through Second uh, Chronicles 20 real quick. And what has happened in Second Chronicles 20 is there's the nation of Judah with King Jehoshaphat. And this nation has come under attack from three different kingdoms, the kings of Moab, the kings of Ammon, and the, and the Maonites. And they have come together, and all their armies have joined together, and they are coming to attack Judah. And king Jehoshaphat learns of this, and he is he's scared, rightly so. This is a huge army that they have no chance again. And so he does the wisest thing he could do. He doesn't scramble for allies. He doesn't run away. He doesn't try to form these complex military strategies to try to win. What he does is he calls for fasting and prayer throughout Judah. And the people of Judah came from all around. They came to Jerusalem. They joined together in fasting and in prayer. And Jehoshaphat leads them in this prayer. And he calls on the God who had led them through the promised land. He calls on the God who had given them the land and had given them victory over their enemies. And here's what he says as he's concluding his prayer. He says, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That was the right prayer, wasn't it? He looks and he says, God, will you judge them? He says, we don't know what to do. We're we're helpless. He acknowledges that he has no hope outside of God. He says, will you judge them? We don't know what to do. And what does he say? Our eyes are on you. In the face of overwhelming opposition, Jehoshaphat called on God. And the prophet that was there, he tells him, he says, Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. The prophet says, don't be dismayed. In fact, the battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. I just want you to come and see what God is going to do on your behalf. Why is that? Because the Lord is is with you. And so Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, they went out as directed by God. And instead of leading an army for battle, he led an army of worship. It says they went out worshiping God. 
And they went to the place where he directed them. And as they were going out and as they were worshiping uh, the armies of Ammon, Moab, and the Mennonites, God causes those armies to begin fighting each other. Ammon and Moab destroyed the Mennonites, and then they destroyed each other. So by the time Judah arrives, songs of praise on their lips to God, by the time they arrive, all three of those armies have been wiped out. There's no one left. And when Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground. No one had escaped. God had fought the battle for them. What was their role? Praise God and witness his work on your behalf. Witness his judgment. Witness his power. Celebrate what he has done for he is with you. So as we turn back to Psalm, we look at verses 6 and 7, all of a sudden this psalm takes on a different connotation. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered, these kingdoms had joined together, they were an overwhelming multitude. It says they made an uproar, they they were intimidating, they were fearsome. And Jehoshaphat and Judah looked at them and said, there's nothing we can do against them. We don't have a chance against them. And they were fearsome and they were scary. But what happens? He raised his voice. The earth melted. This fearsome army, you see this contrast, they're so impressive until God speaks and the earth melts away underneath them. As nations gather and and oppose God's people, they appear fearsome, but the psalmist uh, notes that God raises his voice, the earth melted. No army, no force mankind can muster, no Uh, Not the strongest for our weapons, not our combined military might. Nothing can stand against the simple voice of God. Verse 7, we see that as God defends his people from the nations, the psalmist calls him the Lord of hosts. What's this picture? It's God as the commander of all of his angel armies. The Lord of hosts, the commander of these vast armies. This is the mighty God who fights on our behalf. And what does it call next? The God of Jacob. The commander of the host of angels is our God. He's the God of our fathers. He's the God who led us here. He is our God. He is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. It's in him we take refuge. God is with us. And then we see the results of opposing God's people and facing his judgment, just as we saw in Second Chronicles, verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariots with fire. Solomon, Psalmist says, come see the overwhelming power of God. Come to see his judgment on display against those who oppose him. Those who rebel against God, who attack him, and his people will face absolute defeat and judgment. New armies can stand before him anywhere in the earth. Everywhere people are, there is war, but God will put an end to all those wars. God's judgment will be complete. It will be just. In the end, God's judgment will bring an end to all war everywhere. After his power is displayed on behalf of his people, God himself speaks from this psalm. In verse 10, here's what God says. Cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. You know, this cease striving and know that I'm God. We've often heard it said, uh, be still and know that I am God. 
It's a, it's a very popular verse, and we often take it to mean that uh, we, should, we should be meditating, we should be quietly sitting and, and listening for the, the still, small voice of God. But when you read it in this psalm, you realize that the voice of God here is not still and small. It's not calling on us to sit quietly and listen hard for God. This psalm shouts. God's voice melts the earth, right? Well, this, this cease striving is not be still and be quiet so you can hear God. The cease striving is a message that God gives to give up. Give up and know that I am God. I will be exalted. I will be exalted in the earth. I will be exalted among the nations. See, this is a message, first off, to the nations. It's a message to those nations saying, quit striving, cease striving, give up, know that I am God. You have no hope. Your efforts to rebel against me, to attack my people are futile. My voice melts the earth. Give up and know that I am God and worship me. That's the message to the nations. And the message to us is just the other half of that. Cease striving. Stop trying to win the battle on your own. Cease striving. Give up and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Cease striving. Give up. Stop trying to do it on your own. You know, I have a, a two-year-old at home now, and if you've had much experience with two-year-olds, uh, you know that the, this is the, the age where they're starting to figure out they can do things for themselves. In fact, not only are they figuring it out, they're demanding it. And so my little two-year-old, the, the, his, his thing he likes to say, I do it. I do it. Whatever it is, I do it. And uh, what he doesn't know is a lot of times he can't do it. His, his reach exceeds his grasp. You know, he thinks he can do it all. But when he tries, he fails, he falls, he gets hurt, right? He demands to do it, but he needs to give up sometimes. He needs to let us take care of him. And God's instructions to us, we look at the battles in front of us. We look at these things that were dismay us and, and overwhelm us. And we say, I do it. I'm going to fight it. I'm going to make it happen. And God says, cease striving. Give up. Know that I am God. The battle it's not ours to win. They are his. We struggle and we strive and we say, I do it. And God says, he's striving and know that I am God. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Selah. So why does the psalmist write this song? Uh, he, writes it, he writes it to uh, remind the Israelites of God's awesome power. That's, that's his goal. He wants to remind them of what God has done. And are you reminded of God's awesome power this morning? This is the same God we worship. The God of Jacob, the God who delivered the Israelites, is the God we worship. He's the God of creation. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the God of judgment. This is the God who provides. This is the God who heals. Haven't you seen that? Have you seen God's power display on display in your life? Have you seen him provide where it seemed like there was no way things were going to get taken care of? Have you seen him heal where it seemed like a miracle? There was no healing that was there, but God has healed. Has God done miraculous things that you've seen? We've seen God do miraculous, powerful things. And the psalmist wants to celebrate that they are God's people, that God is with them. 
And so celebrate this morning that God is with us. In fact, that's what we've just been celebrating, isn't it? In this Christmas season, God with us. The Israelites celebrated the God that led them through the wilderness, the God that led them into the promised land, the God that dwelled with them in the temple and the city of God. And we celebrate God who came to live among us as a man. He went through the temptations that we go through. He went through the struggles that we went through. We talk about God being a very present help. He lived among us. He taught us and he died to pay the price for our sins, to redeem us to himself. That is the God that we celebrate celebrate this morning. He has come. He is among us. He is with us. And if we have turned our life over to Christ, it says his spirit lives within us. God is very present with us. If we're in trouble, he is very present with us because his spirit lives within us. It reveals him to us. It intercedes on our behalf. It assists us. It leads us. God is with us. Celebrate that this morning. This invincible power of God he saved us by becoming a man and living among us, and now he lives within us. God invincible, God our Savior, this God is with us. Finally, the psalmist encourages God's people, and he encourages them to trust in God in the face of whatever seemingly overwhelming struggles they face. God invincible, God our Savior, God is with us. Let's go boldly into 2021. We will not fear. Let that resonate in our hearts. We don't know what 2021 is going to bring. We don't know what struggles might come our way as far as sickness, as far as politics, as far as social strife and anger and hatred. We don't know. We don't know economically what's going to happen, but we do know that trouble is going to come. It might not come next year. It might come next month. It might come in two years, but we know that we're going to be in trouble. And we know that God is a very present help in trouble. He is with us and we can trust him in the darkest of times. So this morning, cease striving. Rest in God. Let him fight the battles. Let him give you rest and strength. God invisible. I'm sorry, God invincible. God our Savior. God is with us. You might be here this morning and you've been struggling this year. You've been fighting the battles that you don't see how you can win. You might be watching online and you've been trying to figure out how you're going to work it out. And everywhere you see people promise help, but it just seems like it gets worse. We get more and more divided. There's more and more anger and hatred. Things seem to be getting worse and worse. And you've run out of hope. You don't have any other resources. And the message of this psalm is to quit striving, cease striving, give up, turn your life over to Christ and have God with you. You can trust him. Turn your life over to Christ and with God with us, you can have the hope of God's presence with you. If that's on your heart this morning, I'll be here after the service. Would love to talk to you. You can talk to any pastor, uh, or you can even connect with us online. If you're online, uh, you know, use that connect connection link to connect with us and share with us. We would love to talk to you more about that. Whatever may come in 2021, let's reject fear. Reject fear of the nature, reject fear of sickness, reject fear of politics or culture or of opposition. We will not fear. And let's stop trying to fight every battle on our own. Cease striving. Let's trust our God and follow him with confidence. God invincible. God our savior. God is with us. 
Let's pray.